Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. Let me read Jonah chapter 1. We're jumping into a brand new series. If you are new here, my name is Caleb, one of the pastors. Uh, But we're going to be going through the book of Jonah for the next four weeks. And uh, there are four chapters in Jonah, one chapter a week. I know you guys are really spiritual, so you can handle me reading all 17 verses of chapter 1, right? Okay, here we go. Jonah chapter 1, it will be on the screen behind me. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord humbled, humbled, hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Uh, You guys know anybody that can just sleep through anything? Elbow your spouse if that's them. Uh, That's me. Chrissy will tell you, I'll sleep through anything. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. They said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down before us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous, great word. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus, I ask you to speak to us from your word. Let me share what you want me to share with clarity and let us have ears to hear what you want us to hear and receive in this place. We love you and we invite you to be here with us in this moment. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Book of Jonah. I know whether you've grown up in church or not, you probably all have heard of Jonah. Yeah, that's the guy that got swallowed by the whale. Well, today, I think, is going to be the first message in the history of Jonah being preached where we don't talk about the whale at all. So we're not talking about the whale, but next week, 
We're going to dive into it and talk about it, all right? So you need to come back, and we're going to talk, did this really happen? Is this real? Like, is this an allegory or something else? Um, come back. We're going to talk about it. But today, I want to share a message with you entitled, Nowhere to Run. Look at your neighbor and say, there's nowhere to run. Tell them, there is nowhere to run. So the theme of this series, as you can see behind me, is canceling grace. Canceling grace. I want to give you some context, some background of Jonah, just so we can better understand this book as we walk through it over these four weeks. The word Jonah in the Hebrew means dove. So if you, if you said it in, in Hebrew, it would be Yonah or dove. Now what's interesting about that is we know the first time we see a dove is in the story of Noah's ark. Noah sends a dove out and it comes back with a branch in its beak. And this is symbolizing a promise from God. It's symbolizing a new beginning. It's symbolizing grace and compassion for the world. And yet here's Jonah. Some have said that he is the worst prophet in the Bible. The worst. And why is he the worst? Because he is someone who does not want God to give grace to others. That's why this message or this series, the theme is canceling grace. Because Jonah has determined in his heart to cancel grace for the Ninevites who God has sent him to preach a message of repentance to. I've heard it preached that Jonah was scared. He was afraid to go to Nineveh and preach this message that they might kill him or murder him. But no, as we read it, as we study it, as we look at the history of it, and we look at the heart of Jonah, he was not afraid. He did not want the people of Nineveh to receive grace. He did not deem them as worthy of grace. And so what does he do? He runs. You know, I think that this book is really about a narrow-minded man who God is educating on how wide his love is. And I just wanted to tell you, I don't know what your background is or, or what your, your church history is. Maybe you feel like you've been disqualified because of your sin. You need to hear the love of God is wide and deep and far. And no one is too far gone for the love of God to save them. And yet, how often do we take on the mindset, the mantra of Jonah and cancel grace for certain people that we do not deem as worthy. You see, we can say a lot of churchy things. We can say a lot of loving things. We can say that this is a house, a place of love. But does our life look like it? Do we truly embody it? What I love about the Bible is it reveals us to ourselves. Like, it really opens us up and makes ourselves see ourselves for what we truly are. And if I was honest with you, I got to say that I see a lot of the same tendencies in me that I see in Jonah. What do I mean by that? You see, a lot of times people are stupid. <laughs> and people are selfish. And people are sinful. And I just want to say, well, they get what they deserve. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. I think about the story of the prodigal son. 
And you see the story of the prodigal son of this son who takes uh, his part of the inheritance and squanders it on, on parties and drinking and women and debauchery and comes back empty-handed with nothing. And when he comes home, the father runs to him and wraps his arms around him and says, my son, he was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Slay the fatted calf. Let's throw a party. My son is home. But you see, there's another brother in the story. The older brother who's been in the field all this time, faithful, working, serving, doing the right thing, and he's throwing a pity party while the party's going on for his brother. And he's saying, all this time I've done what was right, and you never celebrated me, and now this fool, this fool, this idiot comes home, and you're going to celebrate him? Can I be honest with you? I drift towards older brother tendencies. Because I'm actually an older brother. I'm the oldest of four children. And I've always been on the straight and narrow and done the right thing. And uh, I have a high conviction level. I didn't remember in high school, one time I chewed tobacco, y'all. And, uh, and I was so guilt-ridden, I couldn't sleep. I put a, a note up on my dad's door so when he woke up, because he was going to 6 a.m. prayer, that he would wake me up. And at 6 a.m., my dad wakes me up and I confess that I chewed tobacco. <laughs> Heartbroken. And so I drift towards older brother tendencies. And you know what the older brother tendency is? It's the same tendency of Jonah. That people should get what they deserve. Because I believe in morality and justice and what's right and wrong. That people maybe aren't deserving of grace. And yet the heart of God is not the heart of us. So often we drift towards this mentality, this tendency that Jonah was embodying of canceling grace for certain people. And I want to tell you that God never cancels grace. His grace is for everyone. So I want to give you some context. Let me just set a little bit of the background of this story. There are four chapters in the book of Jonah. You're going to see this on the screen behind me. Um, that's the first thing. Second thing, this is in the 8th century BC. So we're talking 800 years before Christ in the ancient Near East. So it is in the location of where modern day Israel is. Now, what's happening around Israel? North of them is the Egyptian empires, or sorry, south of them is the Egyptian empires. North of Israel is the Mesopotamian empires or the Assyrians. And the Assyrian capital is Nineveh. So what God is doing is he's saying, listen, Jonah, I need you to go. They're evil. I need you to go and preach a message of repentance to them, and I'm going to save them. And for some context, the Assyrian capital uh, was Nineveh, and this is modern-day Iraq, just so you can visualize it. So the question is, why would Jonah not believe they were worthy of grace? Why would he cancel grace on this people group? We have to begin to understand the context of what these Assyrians have done. You see, they were the big kid on the block. They were the superpower of the day. And they were known for attacking and pillaging and raping and destroying the cities all around them. And they had gone into Israel and Egypt and over and over attacked and raped and pillaged. Here's what they would do when they conquered a city. They would line up all the city leaders and they would run them over with spiked chariot wheels as entertainment for their people, impaling them. 
Then after this, they would cut off all their heads and put them on stakes and make their family members march around the city carrying these heads as a sign of shame and also saying, we have defeated you. They were also known for skinning these people, often alive, and then using their skin as decoration in the prominent places of their city. Does this give you a little more context for why Jonah does not believe they're worthy of grace? Think about it this way. This may make it more real for us. I want you to imagine World War II and Germany is eradicating the Jewish people. Imagine you're a Jew in this day and you're being forced to wear a star and you're being placed in concentration camps and the Germans are gassing and murdering your people, starving them to death. And then God speaks to you and says, I want you to go to Berlin and meet with Hitler. And I want you to tell him he needs to repent and I'm going to save him in all of Germany. I'm going to forgive their sins. I'm going to forgive their evils. I think you could understand why Jonah said, uh, I don't know if I want to do that. So here's what Jonah does. Watch this. Here's the map. Throw it up for me. Jonah's in Joppa. And God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, 550-mile journey. Jonah says, okay, verse 3, I'm going to board a ship and sail to Tarshish, 2,500 miles away. So when you're talking about being a runner and a track star, it doesn't get any more disobedient than this. I think it's funny, actually, he doesn't even debate with God. He opens it up. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He didn't even debate with God. He didn't have a negotiation with God. He just said, I'm out, Uh uh-uh. They don't deserve it. So... I grew up here in Sacramento. We got any Sacramentoans up in the house? Okay, good amount. Where are my Bay Area people at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got any SoCal folks? Okay, out-of-staters. Okay, decent amount. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, so I grew up in Sacramento. I turned 18 years old, and I know I'm called to ministry, and I'm going to go to a Bible college, and God speaks to me, and I feel like I'm supposed to go to Springfield, Missouri. So I go to Springfield, Missouri. I called it misery. Uh, I, that's my joke. For a year, it was misery, and then I began to acclimate, and I, you know, I, I began to like it. And so I ended up staying for six years because I, I did my master's degree there too. I got a master's in theology. That took two years after four years of Bible college. So I finished my six years, or I'm near the end of it, and I'm looking for a job. And I'm like, yes, it is time. I paid my 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 dues, right? My God, God sent me here to the Midwest, but finally it is time. I'm going, going back, back to Cali, Cali. After six years, I was ready. I'm coming back. God, you could call me to SoCal. You know, you, you could call me to NorCal. Like, I'm cool, but I'm definitely going back to California. So I'm looking for a youth pastor job. Well, randomly, I get a call from a church in Massachusetts. This pastor calls me and says, hey, Caleb, I'm wondering if you'd be interested in coming out interviewing for the youth pastor job. Um, I'll fly you out. All expenses paid. And I'm thinking, ain't no way I'm going to Massachusetts. But a free trip and a practice interview, I'm down for that. So I said yes. So they flew me out, paid everything. I met with, you know, the pastor the first couple days and some of the team. 
Um, and then Sunday I roll in and he told me, hey, you got to wear a suit. I said, oh, it's like that. All right. So I came in suited and booted and I walked into this church. It is the most traditional church I've ever seen in my life. Blue carpet, blue pews. On the stage are giant blue thrones that every pastor sat in. So I have to sit on the platform during worship, during the message on this throne with all the other pastors lined up. And I'm just looking out at the congregation. I'm like, okay, this is different. Um, and, and so it was like I went back in time 20 years. And so I'm sitting there and I'm in the service going, ain't no way I am coming to this church. Like it was the opposite of what I ever envisioned for myself. Oh, and I didn't mention I land, it's the first week of May, and it's a high of 49 degrees. Yeah. So as I'm sitting in the blue throne on this stage, looking out at the congregation, I hear the voice of the Lord. Not audibly, but in my heart. And the voice of the Lord says, Caleb, they're going to offer you the job. Say yes. And I'm like, surely that was the pizza I ate last night. That can't be God. Because ain't no way he would send me to Massachusetts. And so I'm like, okay, God, that's nice. The next day, the pastor's driving me to the airport to drop me off. He says, Caleb, I want to offer you the job. Will you say yes? And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I can negotiate with God this week and, and convince him otherwise. So I tell the pastor, I'm going to need a week to pray about it. So that whole week, I, I'm debating with God. God, can I not go there? Like, please, no. And I just keep hearing God say, that's where I want you. Say yes. So at the end of the week, I call up the pastor. I say, pastor, I'm excited to accept the job as the youth pastor in Springfield, Massachusetts at Bethany Assembly of God. And so I drove from Springfield, Missouri to Massachusetts, and I cried multiple times on the way. And I don't cry. My wife will tell you. But I remember crying, feeling like, what am I doing? But what's interesting is I got there, and I served as a youth and young adult pastor for five years there. And I watched God work miracles and and people be saved and baptized in water and we reached hundreds of teenagers and young adults and the ministry exploded and revival happened and I look back and I, I'm so grateful that I said yes and then after five years and in the middle of that time I also met Christy and we got married God spoke to me and to her and said now I'm calling you back to California to plant a church in Sacramento and here we are 10 years later I'm telling you this story thank you I'm telling you this story because the reality is we have choices in life to run from the call of God or not. We have choices in life to actually give the grace of God to others or not. And how we choose matters. What you choose matters. And so I want to share with you today uh, the reality of the fact that there are two types of runners in this world. First, there are those that run from the forgiveness and love of God. 
And that may be some of you in this place. You've been running from God's love. You've been running from God's forgiveness. You've been running from God's grace. You tried to do it your way, your strength, what you wanted, my way. And the second group, which I think is probably more of us in this room, are those that run from the mission of sharing God's forgiveness and love with others. That we often run from because we dictate or determine who we believe are worthy of grace or not. So we cancel grace for certain people and we bestow grace to other people. And can I tell you, this next year and in the coming months, this is going to be even more of a temptation. We're going into another political season. We're going into another presidential debate. We're going into another election cycle. And this is when the enemy tries to divide the church, tries to divide our hearts, even from those who are far from God, but we deem as unworthy of grace because of their perspective or their political alignment. And I want to challenge us that we would not run from the mission that God has given us. Some of you are just running from whatever call of God he has on your life. Carrie Newhoff said this, God does not run away from runaways. I love this because we've all been runners. We've all been runaways. And yet God doesn't run from us. And, and he doesn't run from the runaways who are running from the love and grace of God. But he also doesn't run from the runaways who are running from the mission of sharing the grace and love of God with certain people. Look what he does with Jonah. Do you know he could have used somebody else? Like Jonah's like, uh-uh, I'm going to Tarshish. Like, I'm out. They're not, they're not worthy. They don't deserve it. You know what they've done. You know who they are. And so he goes the opposite direction. God could have just been like, all right, let me grab this person. I'll get a new prophet. But God wanted to not just change the hearts of the Ninevites, but God cared about the heart of Jonah too. And that's the message of this book, is that even when our hearts are hard and we're quick to receive grace, but slow to give grace, that God still chases us down in the hardness of our religiosity. We all have a temptation, especially the longer we're in the church, to become pharisaical. To where we put religion above relationship. Now ultimately, listen, there are good things about religion. Laws and rules. and There are good things that keep us in alignment with the right way of living. But it has to be rooted in getting closer to who God is. Not checking off a box of do's and don'ts that make us righteous. Because you could never be good enough. You could never be righteous enough. You could never be holy enough. But also, you could never sin enough that God wouldn't continue to chase you down. And so I think there may be someone in here that's been running from God and he's calling you back to him today in this place. But there's also many of us whose hearts have become cynical and bitter, and numb, and hateful. Why do you think Jonah doesn't want to go preach a message of repentance to the Assyrians? Do you know why? Because he hates them. He hates them because of what they've done to his people. 
to what they've done to his nation, to what they've done to this region. He hates them because of their sin. And God's like, I got to change your heart before I change their hearts. This is why Jonah refuses to share and runs from sharing the love and forgiveness of God because of the hate that he carries. You see, God doesn't care about our charisma. And I know I look out in this room, man, y'all are charismatic. You walk in a room and you light it up. You close deals. You're, you're an entrepreneur. You started businesses. You get it done. Like, God doesn't care about that. Now, he can use that. He loves it, you know, in your strengths finder. You got woo in your top five. But he cares about it, or what he cares about most is your character, not your charisma. And in this story and in this series, what we're looking at is God changing the heart of Jonah to develop the character of Jonah. And how many of us have lived on our charisma but our character isn't strong enough to support it. And so Jonah balks at God's insane mercy mission. And God says, I want to develop you in the process, Jonah. You see, God actually agrees with Jonah on how terrible the Assyrians are. You saw it, right, in verse 2 when I read it? That God says, arise, go to Nineveh, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. God is like, these people are messed up, sinful, broken, evil, terrible. He agrees with Jonah on that. But where they disagree is that they are deserving of grace or not. You see, the precondition for God's grace is always repentance. And this is a word we don't talk about enough in the church. I probably don't preach on enough. We used to preach on it right? Be ye saved. Repent. But we don't talk about repentance because repentance is changing. It's not just saying, I'm sorry, God. It's changing and living a different kind of way. And so what God has to do with Jonah is get him to repent of his heart while sending him to get the Assyrians to repent of their sin. Both sins are the same in the eyes of God. And we have to be reminded in the church that no one's sin is greater than another. There are different consequences to them. But how often do we in the church think, well, they're unworthy of God's grace. Their sin means their grace should be canceled. But me, my sin, no, my sin is worthy of his grace. That perspective is unworthy of his grace. My perspective is worthy of it. This is what we deal with in the church. But you know, I think we can all relate to Jonah and we can relate to the Ninevites. Because what God is doing is he's going to save them from themselves. Ultimately, we all need to be saved from ourselves. That's why God said, uh, all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. We see in Romans. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why he sent his son Jesus on a rescue mission. 
because you and I needed to be saved from ourselves. Like the Assyrians needed to be saved from themselves. Like Jonah needed to be saved from himself. Like those people who've hurt you and wronged you and, and, and traumatized you and betrayed you. Like those people who think wrongly in your mind. Just like they need to be saved from themselves too. So let me share six final thoughts with you. I'm going to go quick. That happens... This is what happens when we run from the call of God on our lives. The first thing is God will use trouble to get our attention. I'm not saying God always sends the trouble, but I am saying when the trouble comes, he's going to use it. Like, I don't believe God is just this God up in heaven just waiting to judge you and smite you and strike you with a lightning bolt every time you step out of line. But he'll use the trouble that you get yourself in to get your attention to say, you're not living the right way. Right. Now, in this instance, God actually sent this storm to Jonah. It doesn't say that, but it's implied. Jonah says, this is because of me. They wake him up. They actually cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. It means they draw straws, so to say. And he draws the short straw. And he's like, you're right. It's because of me. I actually serve the God who created the earth, the sea, the land, and I'm disobeying him. God will use trouble to get our attention. I'm just telling you right now, you step outside of the will of God. You run from the call of God. There is trouble that will come, and God will use it to snap you back. The second thing is God will wait till we acknowledge our disobedience. You know, I think it's funny that Jonah here, it says that he's sleeping through the storm. Like, I actually have the image of Jesus sleeping through the storm, but they were very different experiences, weren't they? Jesus is sleeping through the storm with peace. Jonah's sleeping through the storm, and I think he was just, like, happy that the people that he hated weren't going to get what God wanted them to receive. And here he is sleeping through the storm. And it wasn't until God, or, or they woke him up, and he acknowledged, this is my fault. I've disobeyed. I've ran from God. I've ran from his presence. That God begins to realign him. You see, I wonder how often we sit through sermons like this, and we sit through messages, and we think of all the people that need to hear it. So I'm like, oh, I know who I'm sending this to. And God's like, no, this is for you. Like so often we listen to messages and all we can think of is the other people that need to hear it instead of God, let me look at myself. Maybe there's something of this that I need to assess in my heart. God will wait till we acknowledge our disobedience. And let's be real, we've all been disobedient to the call of God on our lives at times. Third is God actually steers us towards obedience. I'm not going to get into the whale part, but Jonah tells them, he says, you know what? This is because of me. Throw me overboard. And they actually don't want to. They don't want that on their conscience. And then finally, they try to row to shore. They can't get to shore. So they're like, you know what? We have no choice. You know, take this innocent blood off our hands. We don't want anything to do with this. Throw them in. And we know that the fish swallows Jonah and spits him up on the land in Nineveh. 
God always steers us towards obedience. I, I need you to hear this because some of you think that you have disobeyed for so long that you're too far gone. You think that you've ran from the call of God for so long that you are now disqualified. I wanted to remind you and tell you right now, God will use even your failure and disobedience to steer you back into the obedience that He has for you. No one is too far gone from God still using you on this world. Nobody here has been so far from God and ran so far that you're disqualified. In fact, God's going to use all of that to steer you back because you can't run far enough for God to not meet you there. He'll steer you right back towards the obedience that He has for you. And some of you are standing in front of the land that God has promised you and you're going, but God, I, I messed it up. And He's saying, you did, but it's not too late. Step into the obedience that I've called you to. Somebody in this place needs to receive this word. There is obedience right inside, in front of you, in your sight line, but you've hesitated because of the failure of your past. And today God wanted to tell you, it does not disqualify you. Step into the obedience of today. You see, the fourth thing that happens when we run from the call of God is we miss out on or delay God's promises. I'm here to tell you as a living testimony, God's will is the best place to be. In His will is promises. In His will is purpose. In His will is fulfillment. And you are missing out or delaying the promises of God by continuing to run from the call of God in your life. So why do we keep running? You know why? Because our heart. Because we haven't let Him get a hold of our hearts. And so today we must determine and decide personally that God, I will align my heart once again with you. Fifth thing is we will lack peace. When you run from the voice of God, the call of God, you're going to lack peace. You may still be able to sleep like Jonah in the storm, but there's an underlying lack of peace in your life. And some of you in this place, you know that the reason you haven't had peace for a long time is because you've been running for a long time. You see, I thought it was interesting that it says that Jonah didn't just run from the call of God. It actually tells us twice here in this text. He didn't just run from the mission of God. It says he rose to flee from the presence of God. Away from the presence of the Lord. When you step out of the call and obedience to, the, to, to what God is calling you to do, the mission He has for you, you're not just running from the call, you're running from His presence. And apart from His presence, you can do nothing. Apart from His presence on your life, nothing will fulfill you. Nothing will meet the deep desire in your heart. Apart from His presence, we are nothing. Do you know where we find peace? In His presence. Some of you, why have you not had peace? Because you ran from the presence of God. Not just the purpose and the call. It's His presence that you're running from. Because you know what His presence does? It reveals who we truly are. It leaves us bare. Like, 
We can't hide anything in the presence of God. This is who I am. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And Jonah runs from the presence of the Lord because he knows his heart is still filled with hate. And finally, we deal with the consequences of our disobedience. Jonah had to deal with the consequences. Three days and three nights in the belly of a fish doesn't seem fun. Being thrown overboard doesn't seem fun. Being in a storm doesn't seem fun. There are consequences to our disobedience. And so I want to close with one final question. You see, while there are people who are running from the grace and the love and the forgiveness of God, I think there are more in this room who are running from the mission and the call and the purpose of sharing that grace and love and forgiveness of God. So I want to ask you this question. Who are your Ninevites? Who are the Ninevites in your life? Those who you have held on to hate for, unforgiveness towards, bitterness towards. Who are the Ninevites that you have deemed as unworthy of grace? You said, I cancel grace on those people. Who are they? And today I believe God wants you to change the posture of your heart. He wants you to forgive. He wants you to let go. He wants you to, to, to release the same grace that you've received. So with heads bowed, eyes closed across this room, I want to talk to the first group of runners. You're in this room, you say, Caleb, I've been running from the grace and forgiveness of God. I tried it my way. I tried it in my strength. I tried to do it according to the world's standards. I pursued my desires. But today you know that God has chased you, run after you all the way to this moment on September 10th in this room. And today you need to surrender your heart to Jesus for the first time. You need to recommit yourself anew and afresh. You've been running from the grace and love of God for far too long. Today it ends. You're done running. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand. Go. Yes, 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 yes. I see hands all around the room. Thank you. You can put them down. Second group, you're in this place you say, Caleb, I'm the second group. I've been running from the mission of sharing the grace and love of God with certain people. There are some Ninevites in my life that I've canceled grace for. I've held on to hate and bitterness. And today, I'm letting go. I'm done running. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand right now. Yeah, hands going up around the room. Put them down. Would you pray this with me right now? Say Jesus. Come on, say it with me. Say Jesus. Today, I ask you to forgive me to come into my life, to make me new. I'm nothing apart from you. So today, I receive your grace, but I also give grace. Remove hate from my heart. Remove the bitterness, the cynicism, the anger. And Lord, 
return grace for grace. I love you, Jesus. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Church, would you stand to your feet with us? Here's what I want to do. I want us to sing as our prayer team comes forward. I want us to sing this as a declaration before we celebrate on the porch and hang out together. Let's declare today that we have a God that reigns above it all. And let this be our declaration that as I receive grace, I will also give grace. Come on. If you need prayer, our prayer team is down here. But would you lift your voices with us before we go? Let's sing. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.